once you have people in that emotional way, you're not likely to lose them because they have that genuine interest. That connection exists. Instead of saying, this has already been done before and I can't break into this and no one's going to pay attention to me, use that as an opportunity to use the creativity that you have and be the person to make that really epic content on these topics that people care about. But when you know what you're talking about and when you care about what you're talking about, it tends to be more authentic. It tends to be more real. Let go of that fear to impress your audience and talk from the heart. Where I'm really seeing the benefit of it. And if is this I'm, an apology? Are you apologizing? No, this is definitely not an apology. I accept your apology. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in the digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So I want to take you back a couple of years, Michelle, Uh-oh. to when not too far, I hope. No, 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 <laughs> we don't, we won't do that. Um, but think back to um, a few years ago when Twitter very unceremoniously uh, increased its character count from 140 to what is it now 280 I think so yeah and you know some people lost their minds you know some people were all for it I was on the side of I wouldn't say I lost my mind but I was definitely on the I'm not in favor of this move at all for a couple of reasons one there was a challenge of communicating in under 140 characters or less I still felt like you could say what you wanted to say in 140 characters or less. Still do. Very rarely do I push anywhere remotely close to 280. But what I really liked about the 140 character count is is that it forced you to communicate in more succinct, brief, direct ways that cut through a lot of the hoopla that existed on the platform um, and and be direct and to the point. I think social media has really done a great job for us in regards to being more effective and direct with communication. I know there isn't a character count. I mean, I think there is a character count, but I know there really isn't an approachable character count on Facebook um, or even Instagram to some extent. But you know you don't pay attention to people's Facebook posts or Instagram posts. You may not read something that goes on and on and on and on. It's the more direct, succinct, one, sometimes even down to one word that can be so captivating. It draws you in. There's a challenge to communicating in a brief way on social media. And I think in many ways, social media has made us better communicators because and forced us to be more succinct in our communications because of the way it's been built. It seems funny to me that Twitter went in that direction when it seems like they almost should have gone in the other direction and made it even shorter because to nobody's, match- Nobody's attention span increased in that time, right? Exactly, exactly. Nobody's attention span increased in that time. So why would it make any sense whatsoever to increase the character count when nobody's attention span is increasing in our, in our society? If anything, it's getting worse. 
It took me a while to agree with you on this. I mean, I think I've always agreed with you, but it has been a big struggle for, for me to be succinct. And I think it's only recently where I've begun to refine things, where I'm really seeing the benefit of it. And if is this I'm, an apology? Are you apologizing? No, this is definitely not an apology. I accept your apology. <laughs> After this opening, I feel like I would champion for Facebook and Instagram to shorten their character counts as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, because I feel like there are so many things that make up a successful, well, not even successful, that just make up good communication. You know, if you think about the way we were taught uh, growing up in school about how to write, like we were given character count. We were basically given word counts on essays, you know, 200 words, 400 words, 800 words, 12 pages, whatever it might be. And we wrote to fill up that space. I wrote specifically to fill up that space and not a word over it. <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden now you get into this era of shortened character counts and designed to be brief and to the point. And there's a contingent of people out there who I feel struggle with that or don't know how to be more direct with their communications when it might have more of an impact on, on, on the audience than, you know, something that is, you know, verbose and, and, and rambling. I think that there are two things that people struggle with though. There are the people who are against the, this idea that we're even talking about that you should write just really short pieces on social media. And then there are the people like me who understand that it's a good idea, but find it to be very challenging. So I feel like it's almost like two different discussions. But why do you feel like it's, why is it a challenge to you? I think it's a challenge because sometimes it's hard for me to even get my thoughts out. I mean, obviously I know I'm a podcaster, but I have always found it easier to write. Like I can really explain myself through, through words and like with well thought out expressions and it's not that I can't effectively communicate that same message in a shorter sentence or phrase, but I need to, I'm still at the point now and I don't know exactly what your process is, but I'm still at the point now where I need to write out all of my thoughts and then go back and edit it down. Have you trained yourself now to the point or do you just think naturally in shorter spurts or do you have to edit? Uh, if, I, if I'm writing something, mm -hmm. um, no, I definitely have to edit, but it, it's, you know, I, I think it's different. Like if you're writing a, a, a blog post, like I think it depends upon the tone. It depends upon the, the content that you're writing. I mean, like there are, there are pieces out there that exist that are long form, uh, in terms of blogging. I try my best to, um, you know, if I'm writing something that's, you know, that's not a, what I would call like more of a soft story or, a, you know, an introspective story. If this is about a topic or if this is about something in our industry, I try to be clear up front to make sure people understand, you know, what are we talking about? You know, what am I trying to communicate about? Is this worth my time? You know, basically I want the audience to look at this and say, do I care about this topic? And if I have them after that point, um, I like to try to segue into, 
personal stories um, or something where it's supported by something where not only is it an identifiable concept, but maybe there's a relatable story that I can get into into the second or third graph that gets people to say like, yep, I've experienced something like this before. Um, I know exactly what he's talking about. So you get into the frustration or you get into the successes. Um, and then it kind of just, you know, we work through the the steps to basically kind of navigate whatever this topic is. So let's say we're talking about digital or social accessibility. It's an issue that's getting more and more attention uh, because more and more users with disabilities are, are, are able to access devices. Um, they're being built in ways that now allow for more usage. So you have to try to make sure that your content is accessible. And I might throw a story in there about someone that um, I, I know who has, you know, struggled with accessing this or, you know, we, we put a great video together, they go to play it, but there are no captions. So there's no screen reader ability that they can't read the text, you know, so you're, and then, you know, how do you go about doing some of this stuff in an actionable item step? So that's usually my structure, um, that I try to think of, which is what am I trying to get at? Give me a hook and then give me what I need to know to do this and, and wrap it up. Um, in that type of a, of a format. I feel like what you just described is, is something that would be considered to be longer form or do you use that same structure for like a tweet, for example, because that's like, that's a lot to go into one tweet. I think it's different though. (laughs) I mean, but no, but I think it's different. Like I'm not necessarily using Twitter to outline steps to take on, on, on how to do things. Um, I think it's different for how you're using Twitter. Twitter to me is about, it's about a hook. You know, it's, it's about, um, getting, you know, if you, if you're putting something down there, I feel like the ones that, the, 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 the content that I interact with the most on Twitter is something that I read and I go, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. I understand what this person's saying, um, you know, because it's relatable. So it's not necessarily more of a how to, it's more of a shared frustration or a shared opportunity or success, mostly frustration. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's those types of, of, of things. I think when you're writing something though, I think writing a, a, a tweet, I mean, unless you're doing it in a thread, I think it's a little bit more difficult in 140 characters to do the format that I would talk about in a blog format. I always feel like my stuff on Twitter is to aim, aims to point out the obvious. There's nothing that I'm saying that I feel like is, you know, something that I've uncovered on my own. I might try to put a little bit of my own spin on it with with, you know, some humor or some some sarcasm or or something. But I feel like it's something that exists out there. I've been doing some thinking recently. I haven't I haven't addressed this on Twitter yet, but just working in education, something that's been bugging me lately. And I used to fall hook, line and sinker for it when I was doing public relations in school districts was we have a, a publication in the area up here who ranks school districts um, in the area. And there are some districts that really take interest in where they are. And that's great. I have nothing against a district trying to strive to be the best in the area like that's that's wonderful. But sometimes I look at it and I go, we're ranking this basically on the backs of kids, you know, and test scores and how well, you know, teachers perform. And is that really the goal of education, public education? So I've been ruminating about like, you know, is there an opportunity to, to talk about this? But that's something that's been on my mind a lot. So it's something that I feel like if you frame it in that context, you're going to get an audience that goes, yeah, why are we doing this? But, you know, it's sometimes it's a fairly obvious statement um, that I think people that you get reactions to on Twitter. Can we do like a real time lesson here? Because 
You've heard me say this to you many times before that I'm really not comfortable on Twitter. I love Twitter. I want to be part of it, but I kind of feel like an older person who just got an iPhone and doesn't really know what they're doing. I think the way I see Twitter and the way I enjoy the tweets that I enjoy the most are ones that are exactly what you're saying. Smart people saying funny things in like one or two sentences. And every time I sign on to Twitter or I I have a thought that I think that I want to put out on Twitter, I put so much pressure on myself and think, oh my goodness, I have to sound really smart and I have to sound really funny because I don't even really have that many. I don't have like a huge Twitter following. So I feel like I only have a few a few chances to prove myself here. So for the most part, I, I will write tweets and then delete them. I almost never publish them, but I draft a lot of them. So first, maybe you can help me get over that. But then can we also get into should we be sharing content on Twitter? And if so, in what way? So take your first thing here and, you know, what <laughs> granny like, Michelle needs to know how to yeah, tweet. Give me give me a give me an example here. Like you put so much thought into it. You put oh. something together and then you like pull it like you pull it down. Is it is it about anything? Is it about because to me, I would start with something that you're that you're passionate about and that you know a lot about. I wouldn't I wouldn't delve into something that you're kind of like, I want to be in the deep end of the pool, but I'm not comfortable leaving the shallow end, but I'm going to take a shot at like if you know the shallow end of the pool. Well, talk about the shallow end of the pool. If it's in your wheelhouse, go for it because you speak from a position of knowledge and and power uh, on that topic. I think statements, clear, concise statements about whatever the topic or the issue might be is a good place to start. Even a story um, is is supportive. And I don't think it has to, I mean, you have 280 characters, so you can kind of, you know, tell a brief story of something that took place. I think that's always um, helpful when you're trying to kind of get a point across. But I think it starts with knowing what you know and feeling comfortable to put that out there. I feel like you didn't intend to, but you just cleared something up for me as to what my problem is on Twitter. And that's, I think that the people who follow me on Twitter may not necessarily be the audience that I'm used to talking to, or at least in my mind, what I associate Twitter with and the people that I follow on Twitter are so different than the rest of my social world, which mostly exists on Instagram. So most of these tweets that I draft and never publish are really like snarky thoughts that really have little to do with <laughs> with my business. And I have a personal Twitter too that's private that for a while I was just using for snarky thoughts, but I feel like it's off brands and <laughs> I shouldn't really be sharing those things on something that has like my website associated with it and and my business. But I mean, I think that when in talking about being concise, knowing your audience is part of that formula. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and what they and what they know you for, um, too. You know, I mean, what what they've come to follow you for or trust you for. I mean, there's a certain I think consistency. And now, by no means do I feel like I have a beefed up um, presence or anything like that. But you know, I know what 
people who follow me know me for or or you know know me best for so i feel like sometimes that seeps into the content that i'm pushing out there but i do think it comes back to you know if you feel like you want to communicate on twitter about something to your you know extension of your of your professional learning community it helps to to i wouldn't say stay in your lane but it definitely helps to to talk about something that you have the knowledge base on. I like putting things out there sometimes too that I don't have an understanding of, and and but frame it more in a, in a question format to see if I can get feedback from, from people who might be more, you know, attuned to knowing that that content topic. Um, I think there's an educational piece that also you know allows itself to 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 happen on Twitter, but. I think from from the standpoint of, of getting back to the piece of like uh, a clarity of message, I, I think on on Twitter, you're looking to be direct. You're looking to be to the point or you can tell a story and and you can be succinct and brief in terms of how you you put that out there. We talked about this in a previous episode, but the the photo of my mom, um, you know, behind the, the, the camera in the TV studio at her college, like there was no, you know, main connection. I mean, I do some video work and, and, you know, obviously, you know, oversee a digital team. Um, but it, it was cool to kind of like, you know, bring her from, from you know, the seventies into this, this conversation and just say like, never saw this photo before, but my mom behind the camera at her, at her college TV studio, this is so awesome and have, people I work with on our video team say the camera that she's using is the one that I learned on when I was in school. And, you know, like it, it was like, it, that's what I get at. Like it's, it's a brief story. It's talking about your mom. People know how close I am to my mom. The, the content topic is relatable for what they're following you potentially for. So it all kind of is a perfect melt. So like, again, you're looking for relatable pieces. You're looking for something that people are going to identify with. Um, and, the the more succinct you can be um, with with putting those those frames out there uh, or that framing out there, the better. All right, I'm going to challenge myself to be a better tweeter, and to <sighs> I feel like this is really inspiring me, and I think that I see this even as as a creative challenge and as a a little bit of a writing exercise. Even if I want to be a little snarkier on Twitter, I'm going to allow myself to do that, but I will try to make more snarky comments about things like fonts or maybe things that I can make fun of things that are happening on Instagram and Twitter is a safe place to do that. Snark isn't a brand. I mean, you definitely have snark, but like, you know, you don't want to color yourself as a snob either. I don't think that's how I, I've known you for a very long time. And despite you having these like a, a pride factor and in, in, in what good typography and all this stuff looks like, I don't look at you as a snob. So you gotta, you know, be careful with what you're, you know, what you're putting out there like that. But no, I, I, I think honesty is definitely important. Okay. I'm not going to be snarky to be snarky. I'm just, I hold it back a lot on, yeah. I mean, you, you get a lot of my snark offline. I know. I catch a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. I know. So maybe I can like, I'm the lucky one. Yeah. Apparently. Spread out this, my snarkiness to other outlets. So you, so that you don't get all of it. That's fair. I appreciate that. <laughs> can you, we talk about the second part of it? So can you refresh I, my memory? Yes. So I've been making a lot of content lately. I'm very proud of it. I've been having a lot of fun. A lot of it has been video, but I also do blog posts that go with my videos. And I'm now at the point where I'm trying to figure out how to distribute it in the best way to my social channels. 
So I've been doing Instagram TV, sorry, IGTV, and putting them up on Facebook and, you know, getting a pretty good response. But when it comes to Twitter, do I put little video snippets up on Twitter? Do I just take a sentence or a thought that came out of that video and don't even say, hey, I made this content, but like, here is a thought that I had in the process of making this. I don't know. What would you suggest? I would start with trying to have an understanding of what performs well. Um, and, you know, if you're if you're sort of going into it um, blindly uh, or without uh, specifically for Twitter, if you don't have um, anything to base it off of any kind of point of success in the past or what people know you for or are looking for you, to you for. I like a B testing um, in that regard to see what's what performs well, what works well. Um, we've sort of kind of gone down this path with the podcast, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we've we've I, I would I would argue that our our most successful social channel is Instagram in terms of a most captivated and engaged audience. But recently, we've been seeing a bigger uptick on Twitter, not necessarily competing with what we usually get on Instagram, but certainly a more engaged audience because we've been doing more um, more video pieces, more varied content. I think that that's a more successful path for us to go down. I think the people who follow us on Twitter, um, you know, it's funny. I think the people who follow us on Instagram, our friends and fans who follow us on Instagram know you more personally than they know me. Mm -hmm. And on Twitter, I feel like they know me more personally than they know you. So I don't know what that means, but what I do know is, is that it seems like whenever we put our faces up, in a video conversation from off of off of an episode of the podcast on Twitter, it does a hell of a lot better than what I see what we get through uh, IGTV, uh, where I feel like on Instagram, we're definitely more connected to people through um, high quality um, images and graphics with with with, you know, quote snippets or something that came from from an episode. So I, I like the concept of, of, of A-B testing to see what people are responding to. Um, certainly when you're talking about the messaging though, specifically Twitter to me, it's, it's a never scrolling feed. I mean, it's like Instagram. So you do obviously want to be eye catching, but I, I think you want consistency. I think when people see your, your, your profile photo, um, avatar is the word I was looking for, um, come up in their scroll as they're going through, I think there should be an expectation of what they're about to see from you, not necessarily specifically what you're going to say, but an expectation of the type of delivery that it's going to be. I look for content that's relatable. So what your audience looks to you for, I look for something that they have an expectation level of what the the, the type of content they're about to see just by seeing your avatar in their feed. And then to me, um, being succinct and direct with your point I, I think is, is helpful. I mean, that's, you know, you obviously work to develop the connection. You're going to bring passion to your, your, your piece. Um, you know, you might choose to be provocative. You might choose to disrupt, um, or challenge thinking, but whatever you're doing in that piece, I think it's important that it's, it's evident early on. It's not like you're burying a treasure and they have to follow a map to get to it. I think it's got to be evident pretty, pretty early on. I know with our podcast content, right? I mean, you know, we, we try really hard, I think, to grab audio or video from, from an episode. Um, but you know, we don't make people wait two minutes and 20 seconds to get to 
what the main point is. I think we try to be really clear up front. And a lot of times we use that through the crafting of the message and the tweet. But we try to be pretty clear up front about what we're talking about because creative stuff is a pretty big field um, in the grand scheme of things. It could be anything. So mm-hmm. it's got to hit people specifically immediately that we hit that connection with them right off the bat. Um, and then the supporting nature of what we're talking about, whether it's, you know, me flipping out about something or, or, or you trying to talk me into something or whatever it is, but it brings out our true passions for whatever it is we're getting at. We never do this, but guys, since we're talking about Twitter here so much and you're, if you're not following us yet on Twitter, definitely follow Steve because he's He's a better tweeter than I am at the Steve King. You can follow me. I don't even know what my handle is. M Hickey Design, I think. Yep. Yep. Um, and the podcast account, which is Pod4 Creatives. And yes. that's also our handle on Instagram if you're not following us there. But um, if you are an Instagram person, if you don't really go on Twitter very often, Steve has been putting up a lot of video content there. It's really good. And like you said, it's really, it's succinct. It will not take up a lot of your time, but I think it's been packing a big punch. So how do you feel like your video content has been going lately on, on, you know, your, your professional account? Um, definitely you've been producing a lot and you said you've been enjoying it. Do you feel like you're getting, you know, more succinct, more tighter, less hand motions, things like that? Well, the hand motions have not stopped for sure, but maybe that will just become part of my video persona. Not landing a plane or anything. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been going well. I feel like it's too soon to really have a conclusion. I'm definitely experimenting. I'm glad that you said the A-B testing. I feel like I'm kind of like A-B-C-D-E testing where... <laughs> You know, I'm trying out different topics. I'm trying out different formats. Right before we started recording, I uploaded something to IGTV and I had been taking advantage of the fact that just when I had started doing video content, IGTV started supporting the widescreen. Yeah. And I had been rolling with that just because it was so easy. But tonight I attempted to do a little bit more of a vertical format. Not that the the entire video is vertical, but where I have the captions using the lower space and I have a title in the upper space. So curious to see how that does. If I mean, when we're talking about A-B testing, and I know that there are people who are much better at like just this way of thinking more than I am, better than I am, but I think I get overwhelmed with all of the different things that we should be testing. Like it's not just the nature of the content, what you're talking about, the length of the videos or what, or the writing and the way that the content is designed and presented. Like there are so many variables and even things like when you're testing, like you could test the same exact piece of content and put it up at two different times of the day and it's going to get different results. But is it because that the people who saw it at night liked it better or just, I don't know. This is that I think that the, that might need to be a different podcast. <laughs> and I don't know that, that you're necessarily an expert on that either, but I just find it to be very overwhelming. I, I think it's designed to weed out that feeling. And I think that's something that you kind of have to remember is, is that as you go through it, it should be providing you the data that you need to determine the, the, the more appropriate course of action and to ultimately have you feel less anxiety about, you know, this overwhelming nature of, what format 
what kind of content, what platform, you know, what time, all those other things. It should help you kind of have more of a, of a map to follow. But in the context of this discussion that we're supposed to be talking about tonight and your original question, I am feeling more confident in my editing and writing and speaking on video. In some of my older videos, they're very rambling. There is no script at all. It's just me talking. And then I kind of went to the next level where it was scripted, but they were very long. And then I kind of went to the extreme where I'm like, all right, I'm going to chop up every single little pause, which sounds ridiculous. So now I feel like I'm, I'm just I'm hitting a new stride of being able to leave in pauses in the appropriate spots and not need to cut those out, but being better about cutting out entire blocks of copy. And I have done that before. I mean, I, I talked about this earlier that I need to edit my writing, whether it's for social or for a blog post or an email even. And the same with my videos. Like I have no problem with writing something, recording it, and then once seeing the entire piece when I'm editing it, saying like, okay, this whole piece needs to come out because I already said this somewhere else. And even with the podcast, I don't do it as much. I don't edit it down as much, but I, I definitely do cut out sections. Do you pay more attention? Because I think this is this is a conundrum that a lot of people who are writing content um, face. And a lot of this can be kind of addressed through strategy and planning. But do you find yourself spending more time thinking about that where you're trying to be succinct and cut things out and be be more you know direct and to the point? Or do you find yourself thinking more, um, what does this, what does my captive audience want to hear from me? Let alone, you know, forget cutting things down and how, how tight is it going to be? And, um, I mean, do you, do you spend time thinking about either of those or do you find yourself just kind of on one side of the, of the aisle? I do think about it, but it's a, it's a delicate balance between trying to follow, the format, especially, I mean, I'm talking specifically about video work here and having that, um, you know, you have to have the hook at the beginning and then you need to tell people to subscribe to your email list and you need to tell them to subscribe to your YouTube channel. So figuring out how to like get all of that in and making sure that I'm, I'm following that, that skeleton, if you will, but then still being a human being, but also giving who's ever watching it something really concrete that they can follow and it's hard it's it's not it's not something that just comes easy it, it, there's a lot of thought that that goes into it and i think that that's something that we should really be doing in in everything that we create is thinking about making sure that you are talking about something that your audience cares about that's something that you care about being able to put the human factor in like sharing real stories that actually fit in with the with what you're talking about but then also using you have to use some of that marketing language at the same time to say you know subscribe uh follow me connect like like i just said i told you guys to follow us like on twitter that's definitely the lowest priority for me on my list it's not something that comes naturally i always forget to do it but I think we're we're kind of at a point where people don't always do that naturally. And I, I know that like you specifically like hate stuff like that, but 
I have noticed that I get more engagement when I actually give a direction. Yeah, and I I, I kind of come at it from another angle because you had hit on a on a on a point before about caring, and I had posed this question on Twitter earlier today because I wanted to get some some takes from um, people on Twitter, you know, letting them know that we were recording an episode on basically on clarity of message and, you know, wanted to know, you know, curious about some of their suggestions when they're strategizing, you know, how do they cut through the noise that exists out there? And overwhelmingly, the answer that I heard most frequently was care. Actually, um, a colleague of mine, Emily Popek, I think said it best. She says, I think of the question I used to make reporters answer for every story they wrote. Um, why should the reader care? Not just want to know or even need to know, but care. And that to me is like, is, is the crux of any presentation that I've ever given, any talk that I've ever given, any piece that I've written about. It's about finding the identifiable connection between what you're talking about and what the person is there for. I don't think there's any worse feeling than seeing a description of a presentation or a talk or something like that or, or a book or a movie and you go and sit down and watch it and it's not doesn't match the expectations that you have. It doesn't come to the level of, of interest or you just frankly don't care about it. I've said for a while now, I mean, we talk about the death of long form content. And while I agree that short attention spans are more prevalent than, you know, long attention spans are today. I think um, long form content still has a spot if there's an emotional appeal to it, if it if it matters to people, if they care about it. So I'm always mindful when I'm writing something or when I'm putting something together that if it's something that taps into an emotion of something, if it's something that somebody has a shared passion or interest, if it's going to move them to action, um, that's, that's something that I feel like you can play up. Um, it doesn't mean you can go and ramble on it, on about it for, you know, an hour, but I, I think you're looking to make a connection with your audience. It goes back to that first point that we made earlier about having that personal connection and then kind of going from there. I did a presentation back in the winter, uh, with a colleague of mine on, uh, meeting expectations, parent expectations and communication. And we presented to a bunch of superintendents. And one of the examples that I used was, uh, uh talking about, uh, snow days and inclement weather and, um, how it's such a stupid idea to be posting these things on social media for a variety of reasons, uh, the least of which is, you know, the comment sections turn into these war of words between parents who think it's snowing enough outside, you should call it, or it's not snowing enough, or back when I went to school, it wasn't snowing, you know, whatever. And I I made the point with these superintendents, I said it, and I watched everybody kind of look around like, you know, but we always post snow days to social media. And I kind of started to prove, make a point about how I know every time you guys have to make a decision about closing school, you face the backlash of a parent group or community members or whatever it is. And I'm watching all these heads shake and I feel, and I just realized like, okay, I have them. Like they get this, they understand what I'm saying that, you know, and they recognize that I recognize that this is not an easy thing for them to do. So it really kind of opened up the doors to having this dialogue about how you know, talking about something that's not necessarily engaging on social media can open you up to being lit in by negative comments or parents who are upset because now they have to find daycare and, and last minute stuff. And 
you watched all these heads go, yeah, we, we can't do that anymore. We have to find a more appropriate method, whether it's a notification system or something like that, of, of communicating this to, to our parents. So I think there's an opportunity to really strengthen connections and connectivity and communication by communicating about something or talking about something that you know your audience cares about. And I think it goes back to Emily's point, not that they should know this or want to know that or they need to know it, but that they care about. Definitely. Um, I just I'm even thinking about content that I consume. And I, I feel like we have to address in this conversation, the people who are really good at doing long form. My friend Lauren is is coming to mind for sure. She posts a lot of things on Instagram. She is a wonderful writer, like of my friends, like one of the best writers that I know. And I read every single one of her posts and they're, they're long, but she has a background of being a blogger and she made the decision to cut back on that, on blogging. She still does it, but once she started having her kids and now she uses Instagram as kind of a, a micro blogging platform and she has a lot of followers and a lot of people who love her and love her writing in the way that I do. So do you feel like for someone, for example, who is just starting their brand, I personally would not recommend that they jump into that. But I feel like once you have kind of earned your place and gotten to know your audience and know what kind of things that they respond to and long form suits you and who you are, like I said, like Lauren's writing is long, but it's very engaging. So what like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think you go into it with any preconceived ideas. I think it's something where if you're coming at it from scratch, right? I mean like you're building a um you're building your brand strategy and what you want to be known for and then you're kind of building your content strategy, right? And then you might be building a platform strategy after that. It's all kind of you know built within one another, but if there's a specific topic area within your 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 brand that is specifically relevant to your audience or that you know, based on interaction with other types of posts or engagement that you're receiving or, 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 or actions that people are taking off of something that is showing you that, okay, people are interested in this. That should open up the door to say either I'm going to do more on this or I'm going to go more in depth on this. And I think it's a feel thing. You know, I, I, I think I can sit and watch documentaries on, on wars uh, from years gone by for, you know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes because I have an interest in it. I care about it. I don't know if Ken Burns is really, you know, caring whether or not I know about, you know, Vietnam or I have a passion for Vietnam, but I'm going to watch it. So really it comes down to listening uh, to what your audience is interested in, what they're giving you feedback on, what they're telling you they want. If you're, if you're asking questions on that and then, if it's something that you have a shared passion about and you want to kind of go a little bit deeper on to see where where that takes you, I think that's completely fine. I don't think you go into it with any preconceived ideas, though, about this is something that I'm going to go deeper on. I think it's something where you're you're constantly listening and learning and saying, OK, this is an avenue to kind of go down. And that might be the best plan of attack for creating content. It might not be. Um, but I think it comes down to listening and and seeing what people are interested in. Do you think that there's going to be even more of a divide between long form and everything else. I mean, I, I feel like the fact that we even 
have that term long form. I mean, maybe it existed before, but now like, you know what it means. It, it's it's going to be one of those blog posts that say, this will take you 20 minutes to read. But there's definitely a time and a place and audiences for that type of content. But do you feel like there will be less of it going forward? If it's done well, I, I mean, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think this is like a, a niche unto, unto of itself or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I still think it matters if it's done artfully and, 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 put together well because you know there are things that exist out there like there are tv shows that are that are that are long and that are bad there you know but you know it's the things that that hook you it's the things when you get to the end of reading it that you wish it went on for another four or five paragraphs or you wish there was an extended you know version of something on a on a on a you know a netflix documentary that you were watching or but that matches the interest right that goes back to the point that we were making earlier about creating an emotional connection. Once you have people in that emotional way, you're not likely to lose them because they have that genuine interest. That connection exists. So, you know, I said it before, long form content, if it appeals to emotion, still can be successful today. Tweets that ramble on with no direction at all at 280 counts uh, likely are not going to have the same effect. But I think long form content in general, if it appeals to emotion, can still be successful today. Yeah, I don't I don't think it'll ever go away either. Um, But I think it's almost like you have to you have to own it when you were just mentioning tweets before. I actually really enjoy those tweets that are very purposefully long, where they will use it as a storytelling platform, where they will write their initial tweet, use the, all of the characters, and then continue their story in their commenting on their own post, basically. Do you feel like you've ever enjoyed those certain sure, ones? Sure, yeah, yeah. If it's the right, the right story and the right person. And when I'm thinking about blog posts that I've enjoyed that have been really long. The first one that came to mind for sure was that one that was written about the office, the the dinner party episode. Yeah. yeah. And that definitely was when I read that, I mean, it, it was so long and so in depth, but I, it's like one of my favorite shows and one of my favorite episodes. And like you said, like, I wish it had kept going on and on. So I think that when you really love something, you just can't get enough of it. Absolutely. Um, it appeals to interests, your, your, your personal interest. Um, and if you are aware of what your audience cares about, you can leverage that in creation of content, different types varied, but if it's something that people are hooked on, um, and that you're seeing them go deeper and deeper, that they're spending more time on a page that they're, that they're taking action off of something, I think you can really leverage that to your advantage. Do you have a piece of long form content, either something you read or something that you watched recently that come to mind? I read a piece uh, not too long ago on um, it might have been The Athletic, um, but it was um, on uh, Bill Buckner. I don't know if that name means anything to you as the Met fan that, that you you I are. Pretend to be. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh, but 
committed a very famous error in um, in the World Series in 1986. Played for the Red Sox. The ball went between his legs. Mets won the game, and then they ended up winning the series um, in Game Seven. But he's forever known, or will be forever known, for making that error. Um, but what seems to get kind of overlooked in his playing careers is that he was a fantastic, fantastic player. Played forever. Uh, over, uh, I think he had over 2,000. 2000 hits very rarely ever struck out incredibly successful career but it never gets talked about as a baseball fan i'm aware of this you know these are things that you know i have an interest in um so you obviously know this about him beyond just the error that he committed but when he passed away uh spoiler alert he passed away uh, about um two months ago give or take month and a half ago there were a lot of pieces that started to run in the days after his death that attempted to shine a light more, uh, more so on who he was as a man um, and and who he was as a player beyond just the error. Um, and it also talked about how, how in the aftermath of him committing that error, what it did to him, his family, the threats that they faced, you know, death threats. And it, it really caused him to kind of move to the far reaches of, of the country. And there was always this air of mystery around him, um, especially before the Red Sox won their most recent stretch of World Series, where he was eventually came back into the fold, came out and threw an op- uh, the, the, threw out the first pitch on opening day the year after following one of their World Series titles. But there was always this air of mystery about that time period and about his mindset and getting a chance to read some really great pieces that were done in long form about that period in history and, and the aftermath was incredibly compelling to me as a baseball fan. Um, but again, it's not like the author writes it with me in mind. Maybe they do. I don't know. But it certainly has the it's got the hook for me. You know, it's about it's about baseball, but it's not about the box score. And it's not about who won and who lost last night. It's about the story behind one of the more compelling and more uh, excruciating uh, moments, depending upon what side of the argument you're on in sports history. Um, that's really, really interesting. I think 30 for 30, all the 30 for 30s that, are, that exist on ESPN aim to do that. They go beyond just who won and who lost. It tells you the story of these significant moments in sports history um, that you otherwise might not have been aware of um, without them. Just another reminder that storytelling is everything. I don't know if you tend to do these on Saturday mornings or I just happen to catch them on Saturday mornings because that's like when I spend more time on Twitter. But I feel like you have a really good track record of posting some good reads that, you know, I usually if you recommend something, not even directly to me, just in, into your feed, I usually click on it and read it. Um, and often, you know, there they will be sports related things that I may not even have interest in, but end up being really, really good stories that are compelling and that I'm interested in. I, I love reading and watching and just experiencing stories that are exactly what you just described is kind of these like unknown stories and like holes that you might not even know exist. Or you're like, Oh yeah. Like what happened to that person? What happened during that period? And then I want to know all the details. So, yeah. Now, have you, have you come across anything long form or, or, short that has been you know compelling to you over the last you know however long Uh, nothing comes to mind recently I know I mentioned that that office one like that's still like ranking in the number one spot in my mind right now as far as 
there is not a lot of content like that out there that have to do with TV shows. I don't think anyway. Maybe someone can clue me into that. I know I go to Vulture sometimes. I feel like they have some good articles on there, but this isn't isn't an example of something that I read that was really good, but something that I was wishing for. In, I guess, the end of April, beginning of May, Avengers Endgame came out, and I had watched all of those, like the Marvel movies, kind of like half paying attention through the years. Um, But then I saw the one that came prior to that, Infinity War. So that made me get a little bit more into it. And then I saw Endgame and I loved it. And But like seeing Endgame kind of like made me an official fan and I was hooked and I, I wanted to read everything specifically about that movie, but even back about some of the other movies. And I felt like I was scouring the internet and there just there was not enough out there to to satisfy all the questions that I had. There are sites out there for people who love TV as much as I do, but it's never enough. And they're never long enough, I think, is is part of it, I guess, because there's just so much out there. There are so many shows. But do you feel that way about sports? Like you wish that there was more even than than is already out there? Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, yeah, like there have been more stories behind stories being done, high quality documentaries, but there's an art form to it, right? I mean, there are some really bad documentaries out there um, that will bore you to death. Um, And then there are some really compelling, artfully crafted, well done documentaries or stories that will keep you hooked. Um, I wish there were more of those, um, or I, I would love for there to be more of those. You know, I, I find myself not being able to get enough of that. You know, those, those really compelling, interesting stories. So I was trying to make a little bit of a point here, and that is I hear people say this every single day that they feel like they can't do something because it's already been done before, but when you find the right audience of people who really care about what you're talking about, they can't get enough and you can't create enough content. And instead of saying, this has already been done before and I can't break into this and no one's going to pay attention to me, use that as an opportunity to use the creativity that you have, that everyone has. I don't care if you call yourself a creative person or not, and be the person to make that really epic content on these topics that people care about. People, There are people who care about every random topic out there. Sometimes I feel like we we do this we want to impress people. Yeah, you know, like we me want, on Twitter. Right, right. <laughs> we want people to think we're we're funnier than we are, um, smarter than we are, snarkier than we are, whatever. Um, there's a great book by Stephen King um, called On Writing and I highly suggest it. I don't know if you've read it before. Um, I highly suggest it for you just as a great read, I highly suggest it for anyone listening to this as a, as a book from his, from his perspective on to, to aspiring writers, uh, on what to consider and what to think about. And one of the things that he talked about a lot is letting go of your fear to impress. I feel like when you're talking about something from the heart, when you're talking about something that you truly care about, you're not trying to impress anybody with your smartness. You're trying to make a connection with your audience. He talks about how good writing is often about letting go of fear. Good writing is also about making good choices when it comes to picking the tools that you plan to work with. So 
those two things have always sort of been in my in the back of my mind uh, when I'm writing is if, if I'm using Twitter, you know, what's the best way to if I want to talk about this, what's the best plan of attack to talk about this? But it's also not about trying to make myself seem smarter or feel smarter or impress anybody with what I know or what I'm talking about. It's just about talking about something that you care about from the heart. Um, I find that when you're doing that, you tend to be, I mean, A, if you're in the confines of Twitter, you have to be succinct, but I feel like you're more succinct when you're talking about something that you know about and that you care about and that's important to you because I used to write a lot of words in high school about topics that I, I knew nothing about, but I, <laughs> but I was going to impress you with how many pages I was going to write, right? You can always find words and find things to talk about when you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You ramble a lot. But when you know what you're talking about and when you care about what you're talking about, it tends to be more authentic. It tends to be more real. Let go of that fear to impress your audience and talk from the heart. I just had a moment of clarity. You're talking about how you need to, you know, write from the heart. And I'm like, it's like there's so much to remember. I have to remember to write from the heart. I have to be succinct. I have to think about my structure. I have to think about what platform this is going on and like all of these things. And I'm getting more and more overwhelmed. And what you just said, I'm like, oh, this is like another thing that I'm going to have to keep track of now. But you don't. If you're really listening to that advice, it just means letting go of all of that. If you let go of all of that and just just be in, and write in like in the truest version of who you are, then none of that stuff even matters. And you don't I have think, to keep track of anything. I think fear is at the root of a lot of long, verbose, yes. dare I say, bad writing. <laughs> and and your audience is, they're smarter than you think they are. And I think we oftentimes feel like we have to teach, we have to educate, we have to tell them what they need to know. They're smart people. Don't feel like you have to over-explain something because they're gonna get it. They understand it. They're smart people. All you gotta do is match passions. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at Podford Creatives and let us know what stood out to you. There should have been more to that to wrap it up. I felt like there was more <laughs> every time. We really need to go through every episode and just pull like that one wasn't quite as bad. It, it could like it it, it was, was a like foul it, tip. it was a was soft good. landing, yeah. Yeah, it was a ground out to second. <laughs> Got the bat on the ball. <laughs> description <laughs> I have to go back I haven't read it and since I was like I think the last time I read it I had just graduated I read it I've read it twice it's one of the few books I've actually read more than once you could have stopped um, it read you're not not bad for 10 14 on a Thursday <laughs> night not cuts you know what I mean Clips. I got you <laughs> you're better at 10 14 than yes. 10 16 <laughs> I've crossed the threshold apparently That's it. 10 15 <laughs> is the cutoff for you Granny Michelle. Yes. <laughs>